I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Sunday Mass is meant to be so much more than just walk in, receive the Eucharist, turn around, walk out. This is the culmination of our week, or the kickoff to our week, however you think of Sunday, maybe the conclusion of one week, the start of another, that stepping into our church parishes, big or small, good music, not so great music, homily that rambles, homily that's really focused, people that you like surrounding you, or people that annoy the fire out of you in and out of the parking lot, that when we step into Sunday Mass, we step into the church We look up at the sanctuary, we sit, stand, and kneel, we say what we are meant to say, we pray, and hopefully the way the Lord is inviting us, that this is supposed to be something transformative, something that is utterly different than anything else that goes on over the course of our week, something that shapes and changes us in in almost, not almost, in a a permanent way. And how we think of this Sunday worship, it, it really, yes, on the one hand, we you and me walking into the church on Sunday, we're thinking about it, we're engaging in it, but it also matters how the parish is preparing for it, how what's happening inside of a church office, what's happening in the sacristy before and after Mass, the way that we are welcomed into the worship, that matters too. The folks up at the Church of the Nativity in Baltimore, Maryland, years and years ago, under the guidance and leadership of Father Michael White and Tom Cochran, really began to think about this, really began to try to unpack how Sunday is supposed to be different, how the way we worship on Sunday is meant to truly be something transformative, and that when we leave, after that hour, hour and a half of time spent in Mass, how we're not just supposed to flip the switch back into normal everyday life, but to have been fundamentally changed by the encounter. And so they set out on a project that you can read all about in the entire Rebuild series, talking about this, how they started to approach Sunday differently, how they started to approach family ministry differently, youth ministry differently, how they began to really rethink that Sunday experience and not change the Eucharist in any way, shape, or form, but really help us, the people in the pews, encounter Christ in the Eucharist in a new way and be transformed. And so today, as part of our wrap-up of this entire series on the Mass, we're talking about, again, how the Mass changes us and the ways in which approaching the altar, maybe thinking differently about it, can help that Sunday be the kickoff to the week, the kickoff to the rest of our lives. This conversation is part of our entire Ave Explorer series on the Mass. You can find everything we've created, every podcast we've made, every article written, our Instagram Live series, including our Q&A with Father Blake Britton just earlier this week. All of it's available at AveMariaPress.com. You're not going to want to miss any of it. It's a real treat. We've loved everything we've made, and we hope you listen. But for right now, we'd love it if you'd sit back and enjoy this conversation with Father Michael White and Tom Cochran about their parish in Baltimore, Maryland. Father Michael and Tom, welcome back to Ave Explorers. Hey, great to be with you again. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Katie. Of course. So the last time we chatted was short. It was just like a 15-minute Advent podcast. And I said, quickly tell us who you guys are. So now I can say a little longer, tell us who you guys are, where y'all are, and, and what you guys do. Well, I'm Father Michael White, and I'm pastor here at Church of the Nativity. 
which is in North Baltimore, a parish of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And I'm here with my pastoral associate, Tom Corcoran. We've been working together for a few years now. And over the past 10 years or so, we've really dug into parish renewal. And we have learned a lot. And in the process, we actually wrote a book about what what we learned called Rebuild. It's interesting. I got my hair cut today. And so the, la- the lady's asking me, what do you work? I'm like, across the street of the church. She's like, what do you do? I'm like, that's a great question. <laughs> but create content is part of my job. So we work, I know we're going to get into this a little bit, but we do a message series idea and taking a topic over a series of weeks talking about it. So that's, that's a major part of my job. Mm-hmm. Activity. You said parish renewal. What was the impetus for that? You assign to this parish and you look around and you think, this isn't this isn't great. Or was it just after years and years of kind of in the slog, you realize there needs to be a, a the, the word renewal, revitalization, the, you know, the revival that's going on from the USCCB. This is phrases that we hear a lot. But what did it mean for y'all? Why did you want to do this? Well, the impetus for us was frustration, just frustration that things were not working. And we find ourselves in a very vibrant and strong community. So it wasn't external factors that were leading to our frustration and, frankly, failures. There had to be something right here in the parish Mm -hmm. that needed addressing. And so from that frustration came a lot of interest and curiosity about what could work, what works elsewhere, and how we could essentially move our parish from a consumer model Mm -hmm. where people are just coming to consume whatever it is that they're after to a discipleship model where people are coming to grow as friends and followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can we talk about that consumer model of church? Cause that, I feel like that's a phrase that we've heard a lot throughout this series is people go, they sit, they listen, stand, kneel, the whole thing. And then we walk out and we just show back up next week. I drop my envelope in the basket. I move on. That's a problem. I think we all know that's a problem, but nobody knows how to fix that problem. So so what did y'all do? Well, I think in part it's coming up with acknowledging the problem. We talk about that in the book. You have to acknowledge the problem before you can move on. But then it's coming up with a way to engage members of the church beyond just the weekly mass and beyond just fun or social things. But what is it, again, that as Father Michael talked about, that will put people on a discipleship path? what is going to actually help them grow closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think focusing our efforts on those different opportunities or paths, or we talk about steps here. And in some ways, a lot of times, a lot of parishes have to get rid of some things that distract people from the focus of discipleship. And we like to say become competing systems to what's really most important in the parish. Mm-hmm. We think that to, to grow as disciples, there's a specific path, as Tom has mentioned, and that if we can shape that path for people in a clear, you know, complete way, and we can, we can teach them about the steps that they need to take to make progress along that path, that we're really taking something that's kind of inchoate and amorphous and making it extremely concrete. Mm-hmm. We, we like to say there's just basically four foundations or anchors that are important to building a growing and healthy parish. And they're 
build a leadership community, welcome outsiders or welcome new people into our community, be a welcoming culture, create an excellent weekend experience, which I know is what you've been talking about through this series, and then shape a clear discipleship path. Mm -hmm. So to move people from consumers to contributors to fully committed followers of Christ is especially on that, to shape a clear discipleship path, to be incredibly clear again, what are those steps, we use that all the time, or habits people can take that will make them become more like Christ. And then we make those things, we communicate them over and over and over again, clearly. We identify them, we clearly communicate them, and then we make them, and this is the biggest thing that's often missed, we make it easy and accessible. We create systems and structures that make it easy for people to get on that path. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You said weekend experience, so let's get into it. You walk into a parish, you know, most people hop on a parish website and they want to see the mass times. And for you guys, obviously, like mass times are important, but when they also go to your website or when they step foot into nativity for the first time, it's not just a, yeah, you can come at nine o'clock and, uh, you know, drop your envelope in. It's you're going to invest in something much bigger, hopefully, or we're going to engage you in that. So how did y'all start reshaping that mass experience, not taking away from what the mass is, but building upon it so that folks felt a little more invested and and maybe even recharged when they walked out of there? Well, the Second Vatican Council talks about full active participation. And we began to really look at what that could mean Mm -hmm. on both sides of the communion rail, so to speak. And um, we began to to think about that experience. That's the phrase we use, the weekend experience. What experientially were people receiving from us from the time they enter the campus Mm -hmm. until the time they leave the campus. So I think even just beginning to think of it as an experience that they have and and shaping and forming that. So, and as father Michael said, from beginning to end. So in the beginning, we talk about the father Michael would say the message begins or the homily begins in the parking lot. So the first very first experience people are going to have with our church is where are going to be when they, they drive on to the, the church campus. Mm-hmm. And then how do they experience, you know, walking through the doors uh, into the church? So we talk about that as being the ministers or the hospitality mm-hmm. we are creating for people and think about that experience from beginning to end. And then we, we say, so we kind of use the three M's again, music, message, and ministers. Those are really, every mass is the same in its essence and substance. The difference that people remember is the incidentals, those other things, right? the incidentals of what was the hospitality like, or how were the people like those volunteer ministers who create a culture of welcoming? They lead the way in that. They were going to remember the music and whether it's played skillfully and worshipfully, they're going to remember the message and whether, well, they'll remember it, hopefully, <laughs> but they will remember whether it engaged them mm-hmm. or rather whether it was boring and inaccessible to them. So those are the three in building the experience, music, message, ministers. Then you do have to look at your building too. And how are you that a clean and that you have good signage and things like that, especially for welcoming new people. But the, the big three we talk about are music. The three pillars are music, message, and ministers. Mm-hmm. As y'all started incorporating this and, and helping people reframe that Sunday experience, that weekend experience, what did y'all find really clicked with folks? What did you find maybe had to be rethought from a boardroom where you're discussing it theoretically into the actual practice of it and, and putting it into, into real time. What have you learned over the years is y'all really kind of reshaped this culture. Well, I think that the most appreciated and the most immediate 
element can be hospitality. Mm. Just greeting people changes people. It changes people's attitudes. People drive on our campus, you know, they're coming to church through traffic out on the main road after having struggled to get kids dressed and into the car for mass, maybe, you know, spouses with some conflict going on. All these things are happening in people's lives as they approach church. And if we can begin to transition them from maybe some of the challenges and and difficulties and frankly chaos of their daily lives into a different kind of environment through our hospitality, then we are disposing them to the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. We're disposing them to really enter into the Eucharist. I think that as parish pastors, as parish leaders, we fool ourselves if we think people are coming to Mass prepared Mm -hmm. for for Mass. Mm -hmm. And if so, if we can start that preparation as they come on our campus, we're doing them a real favor. And you use the word progressive solemnity, that word. I I do. I do. I I think that the Mass itself has a progress or a progression to it. Mm-hmm. And that it, when fully entered into, means to take people from one place to another place. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we do as parish ministers can kind of amplify that and even underscore that mm-hmm. uh, in, very, in very practical ways. Mm-hmm. So we've got a very, you know, joyful, enthusiastic, boisterous sometimes reception at the front door as you're coming in. And by the time you get to the consecration, it's very solemn Mm -hmm. and just mystery laden and even soft and quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've had the, the great pleasure of chatting with Father Michael and Tom a number of times, and every time in the conversation, I'm so struck by their passion. And if you are also struck by their excitement about what they're doing, you can read their entire series of books. We've linked them down in the show notes. Get a copy at AveMariaPress.com. There's some amazing stuff there telling the story, the ups, the downs, the ins and outs, how to make some significant changes in your own parish. Find it all at AveMariaPress.com. You're going to love it. If you're enjoying this conversation, you're certainly going to enjoy their books. All right, back to the show. I love that you're saying there's this progression because, you know, when I think of Sunday Mass, I'm often struggling to get kids in a van, make sure we have enough Mass things to keep them occupied and still, trying to focus myself, also hoping that, you know, the the myriad things that are coming down the line for the rest of the day will also be handled. It's, it's hard to give myself that hour, but I know it's worth it. And then when I hear Father say, go forth, the Mass has ended, I'm just like, oh, thank God, like, cue the balloons, we're finally out of here. And, and And sometimes there's this... It's almost like I had to go do it, and I'm glad that I did it, but I'm really glad I don't have to go do it for another seven days. And and y'all wanted to change that culture and, and make it a destination for Sunday morning, make this a priority, launch people back into their normal chaotic lives, but have that as an anchor. So so tell me how it works. You walk in, obviously there's this boisterous reception. Y'all do a bit of, I'm not going to call it a warm-up because I know that's not the phrasing for it, but before the formal liturgy begins, the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, y'all have things going on. Practically show us what that is. 
Well, there there is some difference in the sense we do have we, are, we have online worship as many people during COVID. Mm-hmm. We have announcements before that to engage that community. On campus, we actually keep it more a little quieter. There's not as much as we're welcoming people and greeting them inside in. the sanctuary. Inside the outside sanctuary, outside the sanctuary, it's quite lively. Yes, <laughs> right. So that goes back to that progressive solemnity. Mm-hmm. So in the in the sanctuary, there might be some soft music playing, but other than that, that is that is quieter. But we are trying to then you know, draw people into the experience from our welcoming and greeting as people when people come onto the campus. Mm-hmm. From there, I mean, we want to say that first opening welcoming song should be sort of like, yeah, we're here. This mm-hmm. is great. This is where we have, en- there's energy and enthusiasm to it. Right. When, when it's seasonally appropriate, like, you know, the Christmas season or the Easter season, the opening music is, is joyful. Of course, at other times of the year, maybe during Lent, less joyful, but ne- nonetheless enthusiastic mm-hmm. and full of energy to meet people and really get their attention and bring them into this experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to settle into the to the readings. And then we're going to take some time to dig into the readings and the current theme that we're undertaking in our message series. And I'm going to preach mm-hmm. for maybe 20 minutes. I'm going to take some time to to do that and to really engage people at maybe an intellectual level and also an emotional level mm-hmm. if, when when appropriate sometimes. And then we're really sort sort of getting into the solemnity with the offertory and the Eucharistic Eucharistic prayer. And as I said, the moment of consecration is really it's really quite solemn and quite quite stirring. Mm-hmm. I think it is for me. And then we begin to lift out of that to that you know fellowship experience of the shared communion, and then the joyful sending. Mm-hmm after maybe some fun and announcements at the end of mass. And really what we want, we want for you as a mom, for your kids, for your in-laws, when you bring them to mass, we want it to be the happiest 60 minutes of your whole week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think something we, yeah, a couple of things to that to add to that, you know, I think that's why I think children's programs and having programs for, especially for little children, to be a part of. And we said, that's not babysitting. It is faith formation, mm-hmm. but a place for moms with younger children that can drop them off and be able to really listen to the homily and to where the children's liturgy of the word mm-hmm. that you know, we send the older children out for that part of the liturgy. And they really get a message mm-hmm. that they can understand and appreciate. And mom gets a break. Mm-hmm. Mom actually can listen to me go on for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's not otherwise distracted. So I think when you talk about your own experience, Kate, it's exactly the problem. We, we want people for this to be refreshing and not, mm-hmm. I think in the word liturgy where it means, means work, right. Work of the people. So there is a certain point, I think that is a bit of work, but and it is something we've gone through and feel better from that. But again, hopefully it's work we enter into joyfully and not a work a work that we feel good about. And we feel good yeah. about the end, not just that it's over, but that, We've we've been participating yeah. in it. And one other thing I think we do though that's unique is we call them end notes. We struggled with what to call them, but it is sort of the announcements at the end of mass. And we do, but we 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 try very careful about it. We try to keep it to one very annou- announcement about what's going on in the church that mm-hmm. is going to connect back to what Father Michael talked about in the message. In the in the homily, in the message. And then also we do want to create a little bit of community. Mm-hmm. And that is 
sort of I do with announcements, uh, th- th- these endnotes often. And so I might make po- poke fun of Father Michael or make a joke about something he said in the homily. He tells a story. We always reference that mm-hmm. because it's reminding people, oh, yeah, that's what the pastor spoke about. But sometimes, we, again, we can we can father as father you know, joke about it a little bit mm-hmm. because Father Michael, he's up there telling people how to live. We poke fun of him. It kind of evens it. Mm-hmm. it. It actually helps underscore a culture of community. Yes. It, it's including people. It's reminding people that they're included in a community. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're trying to show is the, these relationships sort of behind the scenes that are going on. Yeah. So it's actually Father Michael said that this is a community of faith and we're, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two questions I want to ask about the message series and then how people reacted when y'all started making these intentional changes and efforts. So first, the message series. Tell us about that, because that's a very unique thing that I know a lot of parishes across the country have started to incorporate. Yeah, I mean, this is something, quite frankly, we did learn from looking at Protestant churches and that they would do, uh, looking at Saddleback and North Point and the Fellowship Church in Dallas, they they did these me- series. And in the beginning, we just started copying them because it seemed to be working for them. And we started doing it ourselves. But what we have you know found over time is it helps us people continue the conversation, stay focused, that mm-hmm. you hear a message one week or a homily one week, and you forget what it was the next week. But in a message series, you say, okay, we're talking about, right now our series is called Victory and about how we're redeemed through Easter. And there's been something Father Michael's been saying each and every week about how Jesus's death on the cross redeemed us. And he lived his life, a perfect life for us to the Father and and lives it for us. And I've had a couple of people even back like that line just been sticking with me. Well, when you do a message series, you can repeat some of the main teachings you've been mm-hmm. having over the last few weeks. It helps again focus everybody's attention attention on it. It creates more conversations and quite easy. We like this quite honestly. We like to say series are simpler. It's mm-hmm. so much easier for someone to think. Okay, every single week, a pastor like, all right, what am I going to talk about this week? That's exhausting. <laughs> You have a series, you can be planning that out. You know the general direction you're going. And it, it just, it's simpler, easier to organize your thoughts and really create change and transformation in the parish mm-hmm. on a specific And Father's not, you're not coming up with this by yourself. Like there's a team of people thinking of this, which I, I really admire that because sometimes it can kind of feel like, ah, oh, it's whatever's on Father's mind this weekend and for better yeah. or worse, whatever that happens to be. But with the message series, I know- <laughs> There was intentionality in the plan. If I if I'm coming to spend this hour, I want to know that you spend some time preparing for me to come spend this hour. I think that's a really great thing y'all do. Yes, it adds to the preparation, and, and now we've gotten better and grown where we plan out the year, and mm-hmm. we do that usually about this early April, mid April, and now we you can just be thinking throughout the year what topics you want to address. We get feedback from other people who have different lifestyles. You know, in the sense, mm-hmm. you get the mom point of view and you get the 20 something point of view Mm -hmm. on this topic. And so you can speak to a broader range of people in the parish. And it's shaped by the messages are shaped by the lectionary. Mm -hmm. Try to stay pretty close to the lectionary as well as the liturgical seasons of the year as, as well. But to go back to your point about preparation from celebrant standpoint, from a preacher's standpoint, I have a bank account with the parishioners mm-hmm. in terms of trust. Do they trust me that listening to me, coming to church and listening to me every week is going to be worthwhile? Mm-hmm. Have I done my homework? And even more than that, 
can they trust me to bring a friend who maybe doesn't have a church to try our church? Can they trust me that I'm going to deliver next Sunday? Mm -hmm. Lots of times I'll, I'll have a parishioner come up after mass and say, Hey, next Sunday, I'm bringing my, you know, brother-in-law who doesn't come to church. So don't disappoint me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause I mean, even I think about the daily masses that I choose to go to in town and where I'm going to go sit and who I'm going to listen to and, and mass is mass. Jesus is Jesus. But there's also that, that homily is a huge thing that I have to listen to and I want it to be fruitful. And Sometimes yeah. I play, you know, you you pick where you, you think it's going to be most fruitful. So that's a great analogy, a bank account of, of trust with people. How did y'all see this affecting your parishioners in North Baltimore as y'all start to make some of these shifts and these changes as you write, rebuilt? What did you see happening in the community? Well, I think, you know, when you make changes to a parish, there can be conflict. And I think no parish can really go through a change and transformation without some sort of conflict. But I don't think, you know, you maybe you remember differently, but uh, we often remember things differently. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't I remember more, though, just being very sticky that all of a sudden people being like, I, I like this. This mm-hmm. is it felt refreshing to people. And so, you know, so many times too, you introduce a new it is refreshing in the beginning anyway. And so we, we started the first one was an advent. So very contained period. Then we didn't do it. Then we came back again in Lent and did another one again. Very obviously the structure is already there from the liturgical season. And then over time, again, we it's allowed us to become, I think, more creative in presenting the gospel, you know, staying to the truth of the gospel, but doing it in a creative way. And yeah, I, I think, you know, parishioners will, will start to talk about favorite message series they've had or one that remember, mm-hmm. they remember from a few years ago, a series. I remember that series we did. I mean, and some that we don't even remember them, but they do because mm-hmm. that was a theme that was really important to them and, and hit them at that time. Mm-hmm. So I think they stick and they add, again, more creativity and juices and bring forth more from our parish leaders to make them mm-hmm. engaging. Mm-hmm. Father, we've had a, a number of priests on this podcast, and, and it's been interesting to hear you know, their experience of saying Mass, their experience of being formed. How did making some of these intentional changes with the message series, with the intentionality in worship, with the whole from the moment they land on the campus to the second they leave, how, how did that start to maybe shape your priesthood shape the way that you approach the people that, that you get to serve. I think that it had a pr- profound effect. I was as a new pastor was increasingly aware that I didn't really have an effective message for my parishioners. And that in some ways, when it came to communication and messaging, I was irrelevant to them. I wouldn't have admitted that at the mm-hmm. time, but I'm afraid it was true. Mm -hmm. To be able to speak into people's lives in a way that actually helps them and that is valuable to them is an incredible honor Mm -hmm. and and privilege. And one that I, I never take lightly, never. My prayer every single Sunday, you know, three times a weekend, when I step into that pulpit is, you know, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this Mm -hmm privilege. And I mean, to bring people Jesus, that's a huge, a huge gift. And and it's clear that you guys take it seriously and that there's a desire to make sure that this is worthwhile and and transformative. We've ended every podcast with the same question. What's your favorite part of the mass? And and whether it's, it's the unique way that y'all approach community and, and the whole fellowship experience, or just, you know, like 
humdrum daily mass that anybody would experience anywhere. Not that you're, you know, nobody's mass is humdrum, I guess, but favorite part of the mass. What, what is it? Feels like a trick question because it feels like you should say the, the, the consecration, but no, but I should have clarified that. I give people you don't have, nobody's actually said the consecration <laughs> except one guy, and then he changed it afterwards. So no, it's not a trick question. Okay, I just I just felt like I had to acknowledge that. So you know, I think for me, we something we discovered is, and we're actually changing the way we do this. But the offertory, and it's because the way we change this actually the offertory. To me, I love music. I love the music we do here. It's it's worshipful. It's you know it's it's contemporary, modern worship music, and I love what we do here. And what we've come to believe is that the best opportunity, really, to make your point musically, is the offertory. Because mm. when people are the opening song, people are walking in. The closing song, people walk out. Mm-hmm. Communion, they're going to communion, but offertory, and we've actually, they really are kind of just sitting there. And there's, so it's really a, a, the best opportunity to choose a song that's going to speak to people's hearts at that time. And, and especially, again, especially contemporary worship music, the bridge itself mm-hmm. usually carries the most meaning to the song, the deepest meaning. So I, I, I would just say that part. I think there's there's the opportunity because people aren't moving. They're sitting down mm-hmm. for people really to enter into worship through song at the offertory. Yeah. So that'll be my answer. My answer would also be the offertory, but not about the music. <laughs> what I love at the offertory is when we see the little kids coming back from mm. the children's liturgy of the word. And they're just so excited and so happy to, you know, show mom or show dad what they did or what they got or what they learned. It's just a moment of real joy that we've kind of mm-hmm. manufactured. Our, my church growing up, they would go through the day chapel door, which was behind the sanctuary. And so at the offertory, they come running out and it was just a gaggle of children speeding past father as he's preparing the gifts. And it's, it's a vivid memory as a kid. I, when they started doing it, I was too old to go. And my sister never wanted to go because she was too introverted and she never wanted to leave the pew for mom and dad, but you could just see the kids running. And it was, it was always a cool, it was like the kids were, were coming back as an offertory almost themselves. So yeah, it's, it's a, that is a beautiful moment to be sure. Yeah. Where can we follow y'all follow the great work that you do Check out your website, maybe worship with y'all virtually, uh, learn a little bit more about how y'all approach all of this. So our website's churchnativity.com, and we do have online Saturday at 5, 9 and 1045 on Sunday morning. And then our work with parishes, that's churchnativity.com, and then rebuiltparish.com is where we work with parishes and try to share some of the lessons we've learned. Thank y'all for taking the time and for all the great work that you do. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. As we were conducting the interviews for this series, you know, when I sat down with Father Michael and Tom, it was kind of at the, the end of all of my interviews. They were one of the last ones that I did. And I, you know, I had in my head all these other conversations that we got to have throughout the season. And I was so struck by how every single person we interviewed had something really unique and beautiful to say about the Mass something unique and beautiful to say about the way we worship at the altar and truly experience the source and summit of our faith. And this conversation really kind of rounded all of that out. It tied it all up in a nice, neat little bow. It gave me even more perspective on why it's so important that we invest in excellent worship, why the Mass is not this throwaway thing that we do, 
but is the culmination of our week and the kickoff to the next the next phase of our lives, a, co- a consistent recommitment to encountering the Lord in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. If you've enjoyed this conversation, like I said earlier, you can find all the great books that Father Michael White and Tom Cochran and the good folks at Nativity have written over at AveMariaPress.com. The link is down in the show notes. You can check out all the great stuff that they've created on their website. Maybe even visit them if you ever find yourself in Maryland. You can find everything we've made for this Ave Explore series over at our website, AveMariaPress.com. Some great stuff there that I know you're going to love. You're certainly going to appreciate. We hope you take advantage of it. We've got one more podcast coming, a little bonus episode next week with my good friend, Mark Hart, really talking about how Sunday can be made sacred in our family lives and how worship in mass can transform us from the inside out. So make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss anything. And make sure you signed up for our emails for all of our future Ave Explorers series, including the ones that we have coming out this fall. You're not going to want to miss anything. Find it on our website. And we're so grateful that you listened with us this week. We'll see you soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.